It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. A day like no other. First time in anybody's lifetime that they can remember outside 9-11 that every flight has been uh, postponed or canceled. You're talking about hundreds and thousands of flights that have been postponed because of a system called the... Uh, the NOTAM system, which is basically a safety system, which says if you're in Atlanta and there's a fire or if there's a problem on a runway, it's a way for these airlines to communicate to their flights what the challenges are in each and every city. If that goes down, you can't fly. And guess what? First time ever that's gone down. Guess who Secretary of Transportation is? Another problem for Pete Buttigieg that didn't get in front of. Governor Chris Sununu is right here in studio. Fox Nation is seeing him right now on camera. Martha McCallum at the bottom of the hour. Before we get to the great governor of New Hampshire, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Cooking with gas. Whether you like it or not, the Dems make a farcical move to get, get, get rid of gas ovens out of your kitchen and out of restaurant kitchens. No joke. Make no mistake. This is about a green agenda. Number two. There we go. The president of the United States talking about a failed policy with somebody that's failed us. And that is the president of Mexico, as well as the president of the United States. His failed border policies are on display for the last two or three days as they heap praise on each other for failing their respective constituents. Number one. Docudrama as top classified documents found in Joe Biden's UPenn office has the White House scrambling for a coherent explanation. The president was questioned about it yesterday, and his tact is really entertaining. Please don't tell me what's in them. My lawyers don't want me to know. Uh, Governor Sununu, welcome. <laughs> I love it. I know. I mean, you are you you are just set up for all of the uh, the comedy of errors coming out of Washington. It's incredible. Today. First off, I just your reflection. Did you fly down? Uh, I flew down last night, and then I'll drive back today. Yeah. All right, so you'll drive back. Yeah. Smart. I mean, I cannot count on air travel. If for you and a guy in business, whether you're going to a conference, you can never say my plans lands at noon. Oh, I'll look, see you at 1. It's it's really one of the most vital pieces of infrastructure that has to be. And to your point, Pete Buttigieg has proven himself not to be a transportation infrastructure or supply guy. Right. has no sense of it whatsoever. Um, I, where it's a miracle he wasn't didn't have to come off vacation to deal with the issue. And, and all he really did was get in front of the cameras, uh, wait for somebody to you know plug the system back in or whatever the heck they had to do, and uh, and then we'll try to take take credit for it. But you got it to your point. You you brought up you have to stay ahead of these things. Right. That's what executive management is. Right. You got to stay ahead and work the systems and understand you need fail safes. You need Plan B. To si- simply ground America for six hours is not is not the solution. For what I know about you, this would drives you nuts about your business. Is it people who are in there to be famous or be noted or get an article instead of being efficient? And that's how you get noticed. Being good at your job gets you noticed. Results get you the win. They do. I don't care how much money you want to raise or how many headlines you want. If you get results, and not just your party and your base will say thank you. America says thank you. Or your constituency across the board says thank you. And so whether – look, I'm a Republican governor of a very purple state. Um, Our our legislature is 201 Republicans, 199 Democrats. Right? We have a two-point margin. Uh, Republic- and we have a Speaker of the House, by the way, no problem. Um, but we still get stuff done no matter what. We always get it done. And I don't have to raise taxes. I don't have to really – I can give a little to get a lot. You know, Democrats are actually amazingly bad at negotiation, right. which is why I wish Republicans would wake up and say, yeah, happy to negotiate with Democrats because we're going to get 10 times what we have to give. I always think about that feature we did together. You let me follow you around a little and you and it was a voting day and it was primary day. And you said what people don't understand is – 
everyone basically is going to be in office for a little while. You're asked to go in and serve. In so, New Hampshire, yeah. In New Hampshire. Yeah. So it's it's one of these things that you really feel an obligation rather than this is my I'm going to be in politics for a living. No, this is my moment. I got to get in there That's and get it. busy. And, and, and I got to I have to get elected every two years. If I do the job, I can get reelected. You have to get elected. I do. Yeah. And, I don't like that, by the way. I love it. You do? I hate it as a governor because it's really hard on me personally, but the system really works. You're not doing your job. We're going to fire you. Like, right? That's that's kind of the private business way. Right. And there's no excuses. I only had two years to get stuff. That's plenty of time. I'm proof positive. You can get a ton of stuff done in two years. So your dad was chief of staff for George H.W. Bush. Yes. So he understands efficiency and, you know. We're engineers. You know, my okay. dad was a mechanical engineer. I'm a civil engineer. S- systems, feedback, response systems, design. Yeah, that's what we love. Well, I did not know that. Really? Yeah, I was a, I was a civil and environmental engineer for about 12 years. I cleaned up hazardous waste sites and I designed I bridges and dams, roads. I did all that. Yeah. So if someone wanted to get someone with experience to uh, implement an infrastructure plan, you'd be the per- person that could do that. Uh, yeah, or an engineer, right? I mean, look, I love redesigning things. And, and I take that to the opioid and to the fentanyl crisis. I've completely redesigned and rebuilt. We call it the doorway now, and we're getting results. Mental health. It isn't about policies and funding. That's fine. That's the easy part. It's about saying, okay, where's the barriers? Where did the system break down? What's happening at a localized level? Can I bring in new providers? We need better rural access to care. Da, 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 da. And you put all these pieces on the table, you get stakeholder input, you redesign the system, and you have the courage to do it. So when uh, do things like uh, confidential documents, and if your dad's chief of staff for George H.W. Bush, I don't know what the intent is, but if George H.W. Bush has to leave after four years because he lost re-election, if, as chief of staff, you might have to say, there's got to be a system in place, Mr. President, I know you're setting up a library, but you can't take that with you. Sure. I know that, you know, I know that means a lot to you, and it was great. you can't take that with you. There's no system in place clearly for almost any administration. That's shocking. It's stunning. Where's the where's the, where's the archives? Where's the, where's the archives? I, exactly right. And it's I might be wrong in this, but it's my understanding that a former president always has the ability to go back to the archives to look at his documents. Right. Yeah. So you could give everything in the archives and even the classified ones. You can still go back and look at them and have access to them. So it's not like they once you if you don't have them in your right. office. I love that Joe Biden like didn't even clearly know he had an office somewhere. You know, right. Or whatever I mean, the heck so, that was. So, I yeah, don't so, know. so as you know, there's at least ten documents of the highest security clearance. Yeah. Uh, they revolved around Ukraine. What else is new? Uh, to Iran. You know the Iranian deal and uh, and uh, the UK. Number one, our allies a little dicey about us. Can we tell America anything and feel like this intelligence is going to be secure in light of WikiLeaks? Remember the communications that were That's exposed. Right. So having said that, the president, and I I find this interesting. I was alerted by a CBS alert about these documents, number one. Number two is he had people shout questions to him for the last three days, non-Fox reporters. What about these documents, Mr. President? And the first question, he'd only give one, was about the documents. So listen to his answer on how he got these documents. Cut eight. But I don't know what's in the documents. My lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives, and we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Okay, let me ask you that. So I have way, documents, Johnny but says, yeah. I can't even ask what my own documents. That's the that's the insanity. dumbest answer, and it was written. That was written down. Look, the one thing I've learned as governor, I mean, there's such a difference between the two administrations. I worked with uh, the Trump administration very well for four years, and now with the Biden for a couple of years. The, the fundamental difference is the staff. Trump actually had staff, and Pence had staff that really understood systems and processes. And you could the, these are like a bunch of twenty-something socialist young Turks. That have no sense of anything. I mean, you you see their press conferences, right? I almost feel bad for those who have Corinne to go. Corinne Jean Pierre. Yeah, I mean, God bless her. She I, says nothing of substance. Nothing of substance, and they tell her say nothing of substance, right? And as much as we want to, it's so easy to criticize her, but I I almost feel bad for her because it's so bad. Now, what what's the result? I think to your point, America, our our allies across the country go what across the world go. What the heck is going on there? What you, you, you're giving us nothing of substance. We can't trust you with classified documents. And so there's an erosion of, of public trust, especially at the federal level. Now, not just me, but I think other governors, I think, do a pretty darn good job of trying to rebuild that trust because we get stuff done. Right. But there's clearly an erosion of trust at the federal level. So this happens. What do you think it does? And you not, I want to make sure you're not a lawyer, right? Oh, God, no. Okay. <laughs> so legally, I, just I don't think, think lawyers should have any position in public office, by the way, but that's just me. There goes all of Washington <laughs> if they listen to you. Uh, now, politically, does this change at all if you're attorney general what you decide to do with Trump in Mar-a-Lago? Even though Mar-a-Lago, a grade of, uh, a grade of scale, different circumstances, but really it's about confidential documents. I think it ties their hands in terms of maybe what they want to do politically, right, to punish the former president and all that kind of stuff. But now they, they understand that they can't have do one thing on one side and not one on the other. So then it does – it, it might it, give the pre- uh, Trump a pass. Yes, I, I would I would guess so. This is my quick uh, 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 analysis of this, but how could it not? Because it's going to look so one sided, so overly political, as everything they do, you know, is out of Washington. All right, just because I know you get a kick out of this, when asked, Democrats, when asked the difference, and what do you think the significance of the uh, of the documents being found at the president's the Biden Center of the University of Pennsylvania? Cut ten. DOJ is reviewing classified documents that were found in. I heard, it. but it's not. They didn't say he was holding on to them. They said they found them there. Right. Do, do you think that poses a national security threat? No. Why not? Because I don't think so. They were in a locked closet. They were not accessible, and that's why the appropriate process was followed. This is not Mar-a-Lago, and this is not a president refusing a subpoena. I don't think it compares at all. It was negotiating the subpoena. You're right. Mar-a-Lago was bigger. The president's a self-inflicted wound by Trump. No doubt about it. Uh, no doubt about it. I love that the Democrats are like, but, it, it's uh, a lockbox. <laughs> it's in the lockbox. Oh, there was box. a lock in the Don't closet about at the it. University yeah. of Pennsylvania. Uh, the ones in Biden's office were, were in green folders and Trump's were in red folders. Exactly. So it's a completely different situation. So when you <laughs> when you were watching uh, that melee last week for the House speakership, yeah. were you saying, Governor Chris Sununu, this is why I didn't run for the Senate. This is why I didn't run, uh, uh, want to go to Washington? No one ever says, I regret not joining the circus. 
right? Right. That is not a co- – and so that was my thought. You yeah, thought it was a circus. Yeah, of course it was. A, look, it went from – It was real, is, though. Oh, it was. This is kind of interesting. He doesn't get it on the first couple of votes to kind of a joke around votes four to five to six to, okay, now this becomes alarming. Like, is this ever going to get done? Now, here's the good news. It got done. They got their rules done. They're moving forward. I'm actually quite optimistic that they can work together, actually move the ball forward. But I hope everyone understands very little is going to get done out of Congress unless they're willing in some way to, again, find that their ability to negotiate. Yeah. They're, they're going to have to get some Democrats on board with some things. Two things I was encouraged about. Number one, a bipartisan delegation went down to the border right away. And, yeah. you know, obviously it's not an election season. And it was Senator bipartisan. Kelly. Yeah. Uh, uh, Senator Kelly, Senator Coons. Um, Senator Murphy, at least three off the top of my head, I saw that. So why would you go to the border after the president won if you don't if you didn't want to see it? You don't have to. So my sense there might be an ounce of sincerity there. Fingers crossed, but you look at me as I'm naive. No, I think uh, I think that's real. And number yeah. two is when Mike Gallagher was assigned to the special China Select Committee, they said I don't have any Democratic interest. Well, yesterday was different. The, he got a lot. I only think he got 365 votes for a bipartisan China Select Committee, which means there'll be a Democratic presence on it. I hope we can identify. The common enemy politically, That's right. uh, intellectually, militarily, it is China. And, and look, that's a good sign. I, I'm a, I, I go back to what I said before. With Democrats, you don't have to give a, a, a ton to get a lot out of them. And you can always find a couple that have direct interest, whether it's being tough on China. And I'm a big China hawk. I think we need to be very, very tough. I think Xi Jinping has, has, has at least behind closed doors, have said things that – I don't think people appreciate how un, uh, how anti-American and anti-Western they, he really is. He really, truly believes in bringing back that that true, pure uh, communist regime. Uh, and so you got to be, be tough on that and, and understand. And I think former President Trump and his administration was actually good, you know, had made some real viable steps there. This administration has to pick it up. The fact that going down to the border – look – do I think Biden's trip to the border was completely staged? Of course Absolutely. it was. And, and That's a bad staff on his part, too. It is. At least he went. At least he went. I love that he's talking to Mexico. I don't know what happened there, but you're not going to solve the border crisis unless you do uh, what the former administration did was really get Mexico as part of the solution. You have to negotiate that. You've got to secure this border. It's driving the, the, uh, not just the uh, human trafficking, but even more to the point of the fentanyl crisis. Now, again, I think the administration is a bit two steps behind in terms of what to do on the fentanyl crisis, but you've got to start right. somewhere. So right. we're all seeing some little inklings of signs, but I'm a detail-oriented guy. I say no time like the now. Uh, Governor Chris Nunez sticks around in just a moment. Uh, this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So it's my privilege to tell you that Martha McCallum has walked in uh, to the studio. Uh, Governor Chris Sununu is still here. we got a few minutes at the bottom of the hour. Governor actually in person in New Hampshire. He will drive back even though he flew in. Governor, just about your political future. I watched Governor Hutchinson say he's thinking about it. Governor Hogan say he's really thinking about it. Clearly Pompeo was clearly thinking about it. Um, you said you're going to think about it after Ron the election. Glenn, yeah, governor, good governors are thinking about it. Uh, Ron, say, Ron DeSantis. Yeah. So what, where are you at with your process? Yeah, I'm, I'm, look, a lot of folks are, are, are talking about it, and that's very flattering. I think they love the New Hampshire model, and I spend a lot of time traveling the country talking about our model. We, 
and, and I'm very proud of it, and I like to brag about it, right? They, people come up and say, look, you have no sales tax. You have no income tax. You have no interest in dividends. You have no inheritance tax. But we, you also have the most efficient government in the country. How do, you, how do we do it? And can it be translated on a national level? Absolutely it can. And um, so more important to the model, if you talk about the politics, is we were, we were just talking to Martha a little bit about the idea that I think the Republicans are still missing an opportunity and a need to talk to independents, a need to talk to the next generation of voters. Without them, you can't win without Democrats You can't. And so we seem to be only focused on the next election. I'm focused on Repu- the Republican Party 10 years from now. I want that 20-something that hasn't been spoken to, hasn't been influenced and inspired by Republicans, where we've just kind of ignored it. That's where I want to go after it, not for my own benefit, but for the party's benefit. And I think we're missing that opportunity. But more the, the whole thing is, and you cover this, you don't win a primary by go being moderate or going after the moderate Democrats or independents, right? Yeah, well, that's the problem. I mean, one of the things that was created during uh, 2015 and 2016 is is a 30 plus percent group that was very devoted to former President Trump. And so now every politician has to face the question of whether or not the way that you are presenting yourself is going to alienate that group. So if you're reaching over to these independents, are you going to alienate that other group? And how do you make up the difference in order to come out with the winning majority? Yeah. And the answer is, look, you don't change your... I'm a conservative. You know, I'm not changing my fundamentals or my principles. I'm just trying to be really good at selling our message. You know, this is the other problem with Republicans, I, which I, it's my team. I love my team. But we advertise. advertise. No, the Democrats are influencing. And there's a real difference. They're influencing the next generation of voter to become Democrats. And we have to have that same strategy. What's the, how do you do the difference? What's the difference? The, so you, this is how you win them. Younger voters are not being told by, by Democrats that they have a voice. Right? They're, they're saying the government will fix your problems, and they're buying into it because the other side isn't saying anything. I believe that as people that believe in individual responsibility and freedom and local control, those are our conservative principles. That's what people want. They want to know that they have a voice and they can influence the change at a localized level. It isn't just big government authoritarianism. Someone in Washington or the governor is going to tell me what to do and how to live. I'm going to do it, and you empower them. But you empower them with those conservative principles. So I'm, I, I don't, I'm not talking to independents to talk to their issues per se. I'm talking to independents to sell our product because we got a great product on the conservative side. We're just really bad at selling it. Martha, is it possible, though, to do that and win, a prim- and win the primaries when the most conservative person usually wins? Well, you know, I'm just thinking about where most of these people are um, in the age group that you're talking about are getting their frame of reference. And it's, it's at college. And that is a problem because we're not educating college students. And I, I'm a big proponent. You know, if you're going to be a political science major and maybe if you're going to be any major, you should have to take a course in college that is, you know, liberalism versus conservatism. And no matter what your political background is, you should have right. to, like a debate society, take up the other side's uh, perspective because we just have to graduate people who understand the differences. When we come back, we'll build on this conversation. Also, your feeling on how the Democrats are blowing up New Hampshire and the opportunity to take that state. The inside story when we come back with Martha McCallum and this other guy, Christian Nunez. Mm-hmm. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. In fact, I think this is going to be a slow-moving race and not a quickly-moving one. I think 
what Donald Trump did by declaring really early was give anybody else who's considering it a pass to wait and see how things go. Uh, and so I don't think it's going to be very quickly moving. And I also don't think it's going to be a very large field. I don't think it's going to be more than seven or eight people max. <laughs> and so all that's going to take time to develop. I wouldn't expect a field to fully develop until the end of June. Because the RNC has said the first debates are going to be in July in Milwaukee. And I don't think anybody's going to feel any compulsion to get in. Well, in July in Milwaukee, by the way, I didn't know we were subscribing. The Republicans were subscribing to the, the debate club, whatever that is. Uh, Governor Chris Sununu is here. Uh, were you Martha, part of the debate club, Ryan? Uh, no. Well, what, what <laughs> they the, the, uh, the, the federal debate, what do they call the it? The commission? Yeah, the commission. Sorry yes. about that. I, I lost the word. But I thought, the, I thought that... Uh, uh, that uh, Ronna McDaniel said, no, we're not in that. We're out. Yeah, no, I, I think there's there's some decision-making still to come on all of that and but, uh, what the format would be and all of it. I think right, the, and who the uh, who the moderator is going to be. Governor Chris uh, Sununu here, Martha McCallum. I'll been, moderate it. Yep, no, yeah, you no, might, no, you no, might I be I think a governor stage. would be a great moderator for a debate. <laughs> well, uh, if you were, I don't know, if you decide not to run, but what do you think about his assessment of June where, yeah. where everything takes th- you, Martha, I, I, you too? I think he's just about right on that. I think there'll be a few more than eight, or, or, or I think there'll be more like 10 or 11. But the difference is I think a lot of those will be out bef- even before New Hampshire. Right? They'll get in. I don't care who gets in. But there will be a winnowing of that field well before the first of the nation primary. Which so, is? Uh, or, or January or early January. February. Yeah. Which brings us to the bigger question. So uh, Joe Biden decides his Democratic Party will not make the Iowa caucus the first event. And New Hampshire, the first primary. Do you think that's going to stick? Oh, hell no. Are you kidding? You can come and try to take it, Joe, but we ain't going anywhere. We, New Hampshire will be But if first. the Democrats don't show up, they don't So have here's it. the amazing dynamic. First, South Carolina is a terrible place to put a primary because they get about 15% voter turnout. Like, New Hampshire sets records on it. In 2020, think about this. President Trump didn't even have a primary. The elitist powers that be basically said, well, Trump's our nominee. Right? No one's challenging him. No primary in South Carolina. And they're going to do that again for the Democrats. So what Biden has effectively done is said, we're going to move the first of the nation primary from New Hampshire to South Carolina. And by the way, they're probably not even going to hold a primary for me. Mm -hmm. So what happens? It means anyone who wants to challenge Biden, and there will be more than a few, they're coming to New Hampshire. And we're going to have our voting first, whether they seat the delegates or not. We don't care. The press will be there. The excitement will be there. The energy will be there. The Republicans will be there. And the Democrats who want to challenge Biden will be there and be given an open lane to do so. It's going to be a wild dynamic. I think that's fascinating. Um, you know, I, I think that President Biden would like to rewrite the calendar to where he wishes that it was in 2020, right? Um, if he had started in South Carolina, he wouldn't have had those horrible experiences in Iowa, horrible loss he in New Hampshire. He left New Hampshire before he the results. Off, I <laughs> Four we o'clock, he was on a plane. It, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I remember people texting me, you know, oh, Biden just, he just left, just got on a plane and left. Didn't say thank you, nothing. Yeah, uh, he doesn't care where he came in. He knows it's like fifth or sixth at this point. So he's moving on to South Carolina, which is, of course, where things started to turn around for him. So um, I, I think it's interesting. I think there should be pressure on Iowa, honestly, after what happened when we were out there covering it. And, you know, we had signals from people we were talking to the night before. Well, we have a new computer um, iPhone system <laughs> for how we're going to handle the caucuses. And we're honestly, frankly, a little bit concerned about that. Uh, that's off the record. You know, I mean, it was you could tell that thing was unraveling and nobody was in charge. So, I mean, I think they should have to face some questions about whether or not yeah. they deserve to have that process. Uh, New Hampshire has always worked well. And um, I think so you say you think there's going to be a lot of people who run against Biden. Who do you put I, in that group? Look, I 
there's no doubt Pete Buttigieg is thinking about it, and he would do well. Can you imagine a se- sitting secretary right? running against the president? And once one him? does, the floodgates open up, right? It's first through the door, and then it, it really does open it up at some point. Look, I, I say this, but I really – what you, the joke is what do the Democrat elites say behind Joe Biden's back? Uh, in Washington. Well, exactly what they said to his face on the primary stage, that he was an old, out-of-touch white guy that didn't represent the future of this progressive party. And she became vice president. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And so you think they're just going to sit around and let him walk into another term? No way. They're not going to stand for that. They're going to find some way to drive him out. You know, Martha, you would know better than me, but they say the machine, especially you with your dad's chief of staff for uh, George H.W., the mach- once the machine gets behind you, if the machine was even by Kamala, behind Kamala Harris, it's hard to get in front of that. And even, right. you know, to be the you could be Pat Buchanan going against the machine, whatever you want, but you're going to make noise, but you're not going to you're not going to win. So is there something to the White House machine that now that Biden has that's going to make it impossible for even a Gavin Newsom to. to well, you guys dent? tell me, but I don't think it's the only Democrat machine. Right. There, there's multiple Democrat machines. There's the AOC machine. There's the White House Joe Biden machine. There's the everybody else. I think there's a lot of pieces to play. Let's let's really think about these first four states, Iowa, which they've proven was an absolute epic disaster in 2020 on the Democrat side. They still don't. I think it took literally a month and a half to figure out who won. Mm-hmm. New Hampshire, they I got it right, but now it. they're saying they're not going to play in New Hampshire. South Carolina, where they're going to pre-pick Joe Biden. Then Nevada, I think they're still counting votes in Nevada from the, from the Nevada, right? So the first four states for Democrats could potentially be absolute disasters, which allows that big open door for a challenger. So and, uh, and don't forget, just yeah. uh, quickly, um, when you talk about the different machines, the Obama machine didn't want Joe Biden to run the first time. They tried really hard. They were saying, you know, that he was Mr. Magoo wandering around the debate stage right. and saying, you know, you can always count on Joe to F it up. So um, my guess is that they are not going to be enthusiastic about another run for him. And he, by all you know, reporting has something to prove to those folks. He's still angry at them and, and wants another term. Yeah. Uh, if on pure performance, I think he might be misreading like you. I believe fundamentally, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that abortion issue really stopped the red wave and it was not I, acknowledged. I OK, so if you believe that the president doesn't, the president believes that he's doing a lot better than everyone tells him. And proven the pudding was because he kept the Senate and had a small just barely lost the House. So that's why I believe that he sees no reason for him not to run. So quick question. The common thought is you would have run for Senate and Governor Ducey would have run for Senate if it wasn't for Trump uh, not fully backing you. What? And, and no, no, that had nothing to do with it. That, you know, who's going to run against you was against you running. Was that anything to do with that? Oh, goodness, no. No, I look, I talked to former President Trump about three months ago to help me to help us get behind a, another Senate candidate. No, no, that, that was, look, if that I had nothing miss, to do with it. Oh, zero. Okay. Oh, no, no, not at all. No, everybody wanted me to run. There's no doubt about that. But that's that's not my skill set. I can defend New Hampshire uh, and, and protect and, and create opportunities for New Hampshire a thousand times more, a thousand times a day, uh, frankly, compared to what the U.S. Senate does. It's it's just um, – it, I'll be very super polite and say it's just not for me. But, yeah, you should probably fire all of them. But, I mean, I just think it's a clown show down there. I do. I do. And I don't mean to be rude about it. But, uh, look – my constituents can meet me every day, anywhere, in the grocery store, in my neighborhood, whatever it is, right? And they demand, and there's accountability, and I have to live up to that. But somehow the Senate gets away with it, right? And they get their six-year terms, and it's all about money and the political you know, headlines and all that. But I got to do my job, and I just – I demand if you're on the school board, you do the job, or the governor, or the president, or you a senator. And I don't see it happening, not from either side of the aisle. 
It's frustrating. Are right. you frustrated? Because I don't you think know I'm the alone conventional wisdom is uh, that uh, bad candidates were chosen because Donald Trump picked uh, some people they couldn't no, win. No, I don't think Trump had anything and to do kept, with it. And kept Sununu out oh, and no. kept Ducey out. Oh, no, no. I don't think that had anything to do with it. But, but separate from that, if you had run, if Doug Ducey had run in Arizona, if McCormick had been the nominee in Pennsylvania, do you believe there would be a Republican majority right now? Well, I think I would have won. I think Doug would have won. I think Phil Scott in Vermont would have won if he chose to run. Let's not forget Phil. Um, I think actually uh, Larry. Was it Larry Hogan could have run for the U.S. Senate and won if he wanted to. And not McCormick in Pennsylvania? Mm. I don't know. That, about that, that was one. tough. You know, that was a tough one. I, I don't know. I don't know yeah. enough about that one. But, but I could. But all, yes. What you just painted is a is a, is majority. a majority. Yep. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So the fact that uh, Trump's in won't affect you. Your decision. No, I mean I can't speak for other people, but I'm just telling. No, no. But for you. No, it doesn't affect me. Does at your all. dad want you to run? For what? President. Oh dear lord. No, you know what my dad wants. My my, my dad and I are pretty obsessive about New Hampshire, and if. Our model in New Hampshire can be, you know, brought to the rest of the country, whether it's as a candidate, as president, as someone who's just, you know, trying to have a national voice in terms of what success can look like from a public service standpoint. Um, there's a lot of paths to that. So my dad wants me and my family to do what's best for, for me and my family in the state of New Hampshire. And, and I don't know what that is yet. I really don't. But we don't have to, as, as Chris Christie said, he's right. No one has to really decide right now. I'll be traveling the country, talking to a lot of people, hopefully getting them excited and inspired. The, pro, the other issue I have with the, the party, because I'm just, I'm about branding and messaging. And I just think we have such a cool product, but we're terrible at selling it, is Again, we're not inspiring. We're not positive. We cannot be the party that says, well, we're not Democrats. And I just hear that too much. We're so much better than that. We have a better product than saying I'm not the crappy product, right? We've got all of this individual liberties and freedoms and low taxes and local control, all these bases that all of us from the most conservative to the most moderate Republicans can galvanize behind. Let's talk about those things, inspire, and get people excited about getting more involved in public service, more involved to to vote Republican, more involved to kind of grow up in that idea that America is great. America has forgotten how awesome we are. And I just think Republicans have the opportunity to let that shine. Uh, Martha, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) I disagree. Uh, No, you know what I'm thinking as you're talking, though? I'm thinking about the extension of the student loan program. I'm thinking about all of the benefits that came through COVID that made, you know, incentivized people to stay home for a really long time. I see a workforce that has gotten complacent and people who like getting the handouts. I was talking to a young woman the other day who said, you know, she's very savvy. And she said, you know, why would I pay my student loan off? They keep, she said, I keep logging on to the website and they keep telling me that I have another nine months now. She's like, I'm going to put that money that I saved to pay <laughs> it back into two-year treasuries and I'll get a little bit of a return on it. And then when the government tells me I have to pay it back, then I'll pay it back. But they're they're working very hard in Washington right now to make people more reliant on the government. And, and sadly, based on the midterms, I would say people seem to like it. Well, I, I'm going to be, then why am I so popular? Right. I only cut taxes. We minimize the handouts and all that in New Hampshire. We have a very small and efficient government. But the Republican governor, if I may, is, you know, I'm, I'm quite popular in a state with a lot of Democrats. It's not just I, I would just disagree. It's not all about the handouts. And I just think that we can actually overcome that um, with better messaging, better influence, more positivity. You know, this idea that they pass this one point seven trillion dollar I mean, that was handouts, all of those earmarks and all that. And I think you need to ban earmarks out of Washington. But the idea that those politicians can get elected easier because they're giving those handouts, I don't, I don't buy it. I think very few folks say, well, 
that organization there got a lot of money from Congressman so-and-so, so therefore I'll vote for Congressman so-and-so. At least in New Hampshire, I can tell you, it doesn't work like that. Well, right. the you better loan, show up. The, the relief of student loans polled extremely well. And that combined with the abortion decision, I think, is why we saw those surprises on on the lines of, you know, 18 to 24 when we were looking at who they're voting for. I think that was powerful with that group. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that I thought it would be countered by the 35-year-olds who just paid off their loans who are angry about that. Yeah. That's what I that's, that's what I thought. But you, and you we don't put those post. folks on TV enough. We right. don't put those – you know, we don't put, like, if I may, a, a, a farmer that is out in the Midwest that now has to pay for the, for the lawyer's degree mm-hmm. in, in New York City. Put that on television. Show that frustration. Well, we do a lot of diners on Fox us. and Friends. We talk yeah. about it a lot. <laughs> right. Hey, listen, Martha's going to stick around and give us an exclusive look at what's gonna, who's going to be on her show at 3 o'clock today, Eastern Time. And, Governor, if you promise to take Martha's information and spread it all to everyone in New Hampshire to make sure your whole state watches. I shall watches. Sprinkle, sprinkle make it a mandate everywhere. <laughs> That's all. Wonderful. Back a in a moment. New Hampshire audience today. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. A few more minutes here with Governor Chris Sununu and the great Martha McCallum. Now, Governor, you had a question about who was on Martha's show. Do you want to ask her directly? <laughs> so, it's Martha, a burning question. At 3 o'clock today. Thank At 3 o'clock, because I'll be tuning Governor. in. Thank you for asking, Governor. I just want to prepare myself. Exactly. Well, I saw you on earlier today and on Brian's show. We have a little bit of a, yeah, we, we, sorry, Lindsey Graham's on. Lindsey Graham's on today. You were not on our show. Uh, He was with Hammer. That's right. I know. Earlier today. Yes. Yes. With the, on that great show with Dana and Bill, which was awesome. So we're going to, we're going to talk about this airline thing. Um, To me at this point, the biggest question is what happened, right? We haven't had a ground stop across this nation since 9-11, so obviously this is a very serious issue, and so we're going to dig into that with um, with. A, I with assume someone just like kicked the plug out, and they couldn't find what else. <laughs> I, I pray it wasn't that simple. Control I, Alt Delete, I and they're pray, like, "Hey, wait, I it pray works." It was that <laughs> Control Alt Delete. Why didn't someone tell me this before? We're also going to talk about um, the classified documents that were found, and sort of what we're learning now that they related to Iran and to Ukraine. And my whole thing with this is just. You know, either you're allowed to take classified documents or, not. or you're not. I don't care whether it's 150 or 10, but there should be an equal punishment if you break this rule. The problem is that people have been, you know, stuffing them in their socks and bringing Apparently them home to their no night rule. table for, for decades and decades, and nobody takes it seriously. So, so what I thought the funniest explanation, and I laughed out loud, and then I found that there's not even a legal basis for it, is when he was asked, my lawyers have told me not to ask what's in the documents I took. So that's basically not to ask. What does that mean? Because obviously one of the answers is if he actually was working on his own book, it would make sense. Some of the pivotal moments, I don't know. uh, I don't think necessarily the U.K., but I know Iran, the Iranian deal makes sense. The Ukrainian deal, my goodness, with his sons and Burisma and firing that judge. I mean, these are some of the things that he might want to refresh his memory. I I love that it took two years. This was sitting in an office. No, actually, not two years. Technically, he was sitting in his office for six years, Yeah, right? Well, 2017. Why doesn't the Secret Service oversee the removal of all documents from the White House and Vice President's office? You know, like when you're taking stuff out, I realize it's a chaotic time, but, you know— they, you should assign, I don't know, six, seven people to go through the documents. You can't take anything that's got a classification mark on it. If you want to write a book, you can check in at the you know Absolutely. Library of Congress. We'll put you in a room or a skiff or whatever. You can use them for however many hours you need. And then when you're done, they have to go back. I mean, 
it's not Why that hard. Why would you want to carry that stuff around? I hate moving. I hate moving stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, so do you guys do remember boxes? the boxes that Trump took out? You know where oh, they yeah. were? At 1 o'clock in the afternoon, they're sitting there with a bunch of 20-year-olds, look like interns. They were loading them out to helicopter. Yeah. There's no secret. Right. They were in cardboard boxes. Because there's no rules. Well, it was yeah. a bit of a chaotic period, if yeah. you remember. Well, um, know, and, and I think they might have taken advantage of that to load up the... Load up the helicopter. I just assumed like his coffee mugs and here. his pictures were in the boxes. Right. So <laughs> spare I, pencils. He did took you know some the governor has an engineering back, civil engineering background? Yes, I did know. Right. That. I, I should have. Uh, I should have remembered that because we discussed it. I remember as I think about it again. But MIT. Uh, He's no dummy. <laughs> right. Okay. Sorry. Did you, did I didn't, you go to MIT? I no. did go to MIT. Yeah. Right. I didn't like the I campus. Brian there I was going to go to I didn't like the campus. Sometimes. Not good campus life. <laughs> Nobody went out. You didn't like the campus. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what I'm saying is. As we go out, the president of the United States is looking at two major things, the Georgia investigation, and he's looking at the investigation over these documents that come out. If he was to, if he was to beat this, was both of them would look like a win. And then a pure politics in New York. I, mean, I don't know if you're following this. It's pure politics. They're just going after a businessman they used to laud. Now they want to go find something. They put a 76, 76-year-old CFO in Rikers Island, which is crazy. Does, is Trump harder to beat if he beats these two things? And if he doesn't beat these two things, does it hurt him? I don't think it matters. Really? I don't. I, don't, I think America has, is tuning out on a lot of it, mm-hmm. right? Look, these guys went through the January 6th hearings. Let's take January 6th, which I think is a much bigger issue and more concerning in a variety of different ways. Uh, they actually recommend criminal charges against a former president. It barely got a headline. Right. It really did. So when you, they're going they after Trump for yeah. this or a win there, it, it's getting to be noise for people, whether it's a, the January 6th or the files or the, right. the Biden files or the laptop and all that. Some of this is really serious stuff. But unfortunately, we become so desensitized yeah. as Americans. I don't think people are paying Because no one ever sees anyone held accountable for That's any it. of it. Right. So they're like, why should I care? Except Congress this- can't indict Donald Trump. That's so right. who cares if they bring a criminal charge? Right. People are so disgusted with the fact that nothing gets done, which is why this governor didn't want to be in the Senate. Thanks, Martha. Thanks, Governor. This is fun, man. Thanks, Brian. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.